It is SAFM Jet Set Breakfast on uh, the Sunday morning as we prepare to uh, wind down the final hour of the show. Our guest presenter today is Ndogozo uh, uh, Togolanga, a curator, strategist, and artist manager. Very interesting, this concept of artist management. I think it's something that I'm, I'm sort of trying to understand more and more. Good good morning, firstly, gentlemen. Um, so he's joined by uh, two uh, friends and colleagues who are going to be joining the conversation uh, in just a little bit. But for now, let's start with you. How are you doing? Very well. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, now that's a radio for, uh, like a radio voice coming through. Well, <laughs> we hope. This is an interview, right? <laughs> dual interview. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So the, the concept of artist manager, I think a lot of people are obviously very familiar with curatorship right. um, and, and you know, strategists, whether you are in the marketing arena, like fast moving goods, or yeah. you're in something niche, visual arts or contemporary arts. But right. the concept of artist management, I think even artists themselves still don't understand or see what the need is for one of those. Yeah, look, so the system as it's been, it's that it has not always focused on the artist. Mm -hmm. It focuses on the artist's creation Mm -hmm. versus, you know, the interest of the artist. So I think artist management is really centered around making sure that the artist gets their needs met. Right. Mm -hmm. This is from a professional stance, making sure that from financially they're taken care of. Right. Like so that a gatekeeper between the artist and sort of like the gallery system, Mm. right? Um, We are more vocal now about exploitation of artists. Mm. And sometimes things like that happen because the artists don't have that person that will take care of their needs. And that becomes very important to to have the more you grow because it's at that point where the exploitation happens. It's easy when you're selling at lower prices and the losses Mm. seem lower, but as you grow in your career, then it becomes a bit a bit important also because I think the art practice needs to feel a bit more professional sometimes. Yeah. So that there's that bridge. Don't you can talk creativity with the artist, but when it comes to business, let that be handled by the manager, so to say. Absolutely. Now, you know, as you talk about sort of bridging that relationship between artist and, and gallery or gallerist, some might then argue, but isn't the gallery in essence an artist's agency? I completely agree with that statement because if you think about it, a gallery can sign 50 artists. Now, what is the truth in thinking that one institution will take care of 50 artists equally and give them equal opportunities Mm. within one institution? That's highly unlikely. And oftentimes what happens is that that keeps the artist locked. Yeah. So, and I think creativity cannot happen within one institution purely. An artist needs to be able to collaborate with different galleries and different institutions without anybody sort of hogging their creativity. So I think the importance then comes in that to have an independency and your own management. I got you. So interesting that we're having this conversation because just this week I was saying to uh, my producer on the art of everything that we need to have a conversation around this very silent war that is happening. There's a very obvious silent battle happening between specifically black emerging and established artists and galleries right now. Um, a lot more of them are moving away from gallery representation uh, for various reasons. And a lot more galleries are absence 
in the spaces of black artists. And you see it. You see it. You know, we just had open studios the other weekend. Yeah. There was not a single gallerist there. Uh, and a lot of artists pointed that out. You see it when galleries have, uh, you know, and auction houses mm -hmm. have their own sort of open spaces. Yesterday I went to a, a walkabout, yeah. although it was a, a, a private, uh, you know, intimate invite event. Right. But there was not a single artist invited. Look, so I think I'm not denying the importance of a gallery system. Yeah. I think it is there. But yeah. I think the model they employ currently has become obsolete. Uh, before technology, the only way for the artist to access the market was through the gallery, yeah. right? Now you find that the artist is the one bringing the business to the gallery. Mm. The artist will post or share their work, and then through their own marketing, mm. people get interest. And then for some reason in that system, there's no gallery, but the gallery is still entitled to a portion. When I say, when I think of it, I think galleries and artists need to start collaborating more. There's no need for any gallery to sign a person. Mm. I think it should be a free market system where, because that will breed creativity. Because yeah. I think the only person that struggles in the system of art is the artist, yeah. right? Because the gallery has 50 artists. The artist is essentially alone mm. in that. So I think we need to start doing more collaborations as institutions. How do you, how does a, a gallery that has signed other artists still work with other artists? So if you think about it, if you just graduated from Vitz now, you have no way of getting into a gallery. Mm, mm. And I think galleries need to start getting there. Just like you say, they're not even present, so to say, on the ground and seeing what creativity is like for the South African market. But what is interesting is that the international galleries are now starting to spot mm. South African artists and are willing to collaborate with local people without signing them, whereas our own institutions aren't doing that. Yeah. Very interesting conversation that uh, we're having this morning uh, with our guest presenter. And Dogozo is joining me uh, in studio alongside his guests. Um, they're just uh, patiently waiting to chime in. And we are definitely going to uh, rope them into the conversation in just a matter of a moment. Oh, my chair nearly tippled me over. And my producers keep saying this. <laughs> it's my favorite chair in the whole world. <laughs> but it's on its last legs. And one of these days, it's definitely uh, going to tipple me over. The business of art, which is in essence what we are conversing about right. now, um, it is a business. And I've, I've often said within the creative and cultural spaces, there are specific disciplines that are sometimes even amongst ourselves as creatives are shunned upon. We yeah. look at them as, you know, the stepsister, they get the crumbs. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as there is a prestige specifically to visual artistry, right. But to some degree, the business of it treats artists as though they are the stepsister who must just get crumbs, particularly if they are black creatives. I think there's no greater truth that has been spoken thus far in this day. I think that is essentially what it is. Um, the, the, like I said, there's the creator and the creation, right? Yeah. People value the item that the artist has created. But for some reason, they don't value the creator. Mm. And as soon as the artwork leaves the hands of the artist, oftentimes a lot of what happens with that artwork is not in the control of the, of the artist. A simple example is that an artist is not asked if they want to sell to a particular client, mm. which I believe is important because I believe that art is an extension of the emotions and the mind of mm. the artist and i think to a certain extent that whole commercial pers I mean, line should be inclusive of the artist and most institutions have enjoyed so much 
you know, financial gain from this, that nobody is actually willing to sort of shift it. So as it stands right now, um, when you are independent, which I suppose that's what we do with the artists that I work with, is we essentially vet our clients. We sell to the people that we want to sell to because there's also something that we don't speak about, which is the secondary market in South Africa. Mm. I mean, in the world, which is called flipping, where people buy your work and keep it for a certain amount of time. And later in the mm. future, they resell the work without the artist benefiting anything. Yeah. So how do we bridge that as well? How do we put certain contracts in place to say, should you resell, please give me right to buy the artwork back. If I can't, I am entitled to a certain percentage mm. for a certain number of years. And like you say, it's it's not even unique to, to, to art. If you think about, I say art is a new gold. If you think about mining, it's the same thing. We want the gold, but we don't want to pay attention to the one that mines the gold. So I think it's just a perpetuation of what has actually been happening throughout the ages. But because art is bought by those that are oftentimes affluent, mm. we don't touch that topic. Yeah. yeah. Now, some might ask you, are we being too personal with the product as much as it's a personal product? So when you start bringing up conversations around vetting the consumer um, and safeguarding against, for instance, a flipping conversation I've had recently with a few artists and yeah. galleries, are we personalizing the product too much? I, is there an alternative to that? I think that is the importance, though. I think we should, because there's a reason why I want to buy an artwork, Yaset Lamorajo Mashilo. There's a reason I want to buy a Zandile Shabalala, for example. Mm. Because of that attachment that I have to that artwork, there actually is a love that goes towards this piece. So why are we asking the the alternative of the one that creates, you know. And I think that's how an artist succeeds, when they sell to the right people, because the right people care about the artist, and they become patrons of this artist's career. They help them when they need to expand. They connect them to the right spaces. And that's essentially building a circle that allows you to succeed even more. And sometimes this question is only asked of South African artists. It's not asked of other worse than... Mm -hmm. artists because that's how people succeed some of the artists you find if i'm a millionaire and i collect a particular artist because i love them and i love their work for a certain period of time their work forming my collection actually makes their work gain value so i think we actually need that versus not personalizing it Got you. Uh, it is a Jet Set Breakfast. Oh, my goodness. I almost said the art of everything. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it is a Jet Set Breakfast on this Sunday morning right here on SAFM. Let's take a uh, musical offering. And I think it is uh, a piece by yourself that uh, you've requested we play this morning uh, in Dogozo. Uh, Mandisa. And I always, Mandisi, I always get Mandisa's infliction of the surname. He always laughs at me slightly correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, incorrect, rather. Uh, Mandisi Ejanchi, why this particular song? Look, so I think with with Mandisi's music, just generally, it is very honest, mm. firstly. And I think he is a master in the making. And I think we don't observe and consume his music more. And it speaks to our hearts oftentimes. Mm. It is very honest. And as a human being that I've had the pleasure of organically meeting and his music extends to him in as much as, you know, it should in essence. So Mandisi is, 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 a, is, a, is a preacher to me. 
um, so to say, his music heals me and gives perspective in a time that I think we need it. So that song for me is that. See, this is the problem. In all my years, I've learned not to have conversations with guests off air because then you get into the conversation <laughs> and then Mandisi's song ends and now you've got to jump back into a different train of thought. Um, we are hanging out with uh, Togoza. Um, Togoza, sorry, why am I saying Because I want to say Togoza Gogo, you know. Togoza uh, Togalanga, who's a curator, strategist and artist manager. Um, and let me let you introduce your guest. Yes, gentlemen, you may grab a set of uh, headphones if you want. Um, please introduce uh, the uh, gentleman that you've brought with you in studio today uh, as we get into the second half of our conversation. So with these two gentlemen, um, Lesole and Setlamuraho, um, these are the people that I think I have great conversations with. Mm. But they are those conversations that after we chat, and I'm like, wow, I wish people could hear what he just said, mm. right? And it's not like I can just post it and give it publicity. <laughs> so um, my idea was Lesole, for example, I believe he's a young man um, who's doing great things um, mm. for the creative industry as a whole. And he's, he's, I think he's a cultural preservatist, right? Like he is really interested in sort of like black culture within the creative spaces and how do we develop people and give them equal opportunities. Mm. So basically he's a person that just sort of breaks down walls and moves as if those walls didn't exist. And with with Sitlamurahu Mashilo, I mean, it's one of those artists that from day one when you see their work, you just fall in love with the work mm. and you meet the person and you're like, oh, even greater than your work, right? <laughs> um, but his honesty about identity and how we ought to live within this space that we think is welcoming to us but we sort of discover as time goes on that it is not mm. how we have moved away from what is natural to us in our lives, whereas that is essentially the best thing. Everybody wants to have a plot in the villages and have a cottage and stuff like that. Those are things that we already have, mm. but it's almost as if we need to come to the lights, to the city, and when we are here, we realize actually life as it were was absolutely amazing and i think their thoughts in everything that they say are absolutely amazing so it's essentially just having them here and converse and just basically have their brains picked i mean i couldn't have given y'all a better introduction even if i tried <laughs> you know which which is why uh, he's the one who's brought you on and as he was talking uh who gave me permission to call him uh mashilo because i think he preempted <laughs> he was like this nguni girl um but as he was talking i jumped onto your instagram um and i was just having a look at some of you know your contribution to the voice of visual arts and and you really do um capture the essence of of just a lived experience in such a beautiful way um gentlemen thank you all for for joining us thank we've been having us. interesting conversations <laughs> on and off air uh and i think maybe our, our jump off point is just uh, to just briefly get your thoughts about you know the business of art from from your perspective as creators and contributors who should we start with? <laughs> okay, let's start with you, Sitla Murajo. What are your thoughts? I mean, um, good good morning. Yes, <laughs> and thank you for having me. Um, I mean, my, I think my perspective is that, um, you know, we talk, I mean, Togo talks about uh, galleries need to perhaps run a free market so that uh, creatives can collaborate with these spaces, right? Mm. Uh, for me, within that, uh, the issue is that um, 
what we don't seem to be having is that artists don't want to organize themselves, right? Because in order for you to collaborate, you need to organize yourself. And yes. I think that's like the business of the arts mm. as we should learn as artists, right? Mm. Because in order for us to collaborate on a commercial level, we need to be organized. And what galleries will never tell uh, young artists is that come organized. Yes. Organize yourself and then come talk to us about what it is that you see uh, happening in these spaces, right? And that's why I think within that system, we don't see a lot of um, collaboration just between spaces. Uh, but then because of the politics of spaces, then we don't see artists of this time collaborating with each other, right? Mm. So I will never have a one-on-one a, a -on -one, a creative exploration um, with perhaps a blessing in Goveni, yes. you know, uh, and somebody would, or at least somebody would be my uh, immediate contemporary, you yeah. know. Uh, so we miss out on those sort of commercial business opportunities because of politics of spaces and yeah. and just not being organized in order for us to understand what this collaboration is going to uh, bring in terms of value. Yeah. That is such a pertinent point that you bring up, um, you know, the vested collective interest, uh, because there is a power in, in the collective movement. There's a power in the gathering, um, often challenging this conversation. I'm glad you bring up Blessing uh, as well. Often challenging this con conversation with uh, his uh, generation of, of, of creators to say, but as a collective who've broken down these barriers to some degree, what is your responsibility to the young emerging artists? What is your responsibility when you are in these spaces that are politicized, um, you know, to ensure that those who come behind you have an easier journey? Mm. And that in itself is important. Of course. And, and I think that's where um, uh, us as black creatives have never had our own spaces to, to develop ideas, right? Yeah. So in essence, then we'll never collaborate as artists or just as creators amongst ourselves, right? Mm. And the responsibility, I think, is for us to create these spaces where we can just have neutral conversations amongst us as contemporaries and creators, mm. right? And test ideas for these markets to see what we're capable of outside of, like, some of these big value chains like art fairs and, mm. you know, and uh, um, solo shows, you know? Uh, so we never get to see... Um, anything of that nature in between all of these big events on the calendar, on the creative calendar, on the cultural calendar. Yeah, yeah. Lisola, what is your thoughts in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the black voice right now, you know, especially in visual arts, in the spaces that you guys play in? Because I think, as, as we were alluding to with Toho in, in conversation, there is very much an appetite right now for, for black artists. Uh, you know, they are the most dynamic at the moment. They are the ones that have all eyes, all ears on them, both domestically and internationally. But are you leveraging off that, that power shift uh, you know, the consumer may still be very much Caucasian. Let's just call it a spade a spade. Um, but the, the the power of the creator right now is vested in blackness. Definitely. I mean, okay, morning, morning, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, uh, uh, as uh, Togo had said, like in the introduction, I think it's very important for me, you know, when it comes to like building spaces because, you know, we have a very like tough history, you know, mm. as a people, as a nation, you know, locally and globally, right? So what I always think to myself is that, you know, especially now that, you know, a lot of black creatives, you know, we are looking, you know, into our archives, you know. Mm. That is why every time I look at paintings and I see archives, like, I'm always interested and happy because, you know, we are still working with the memory of the past. So, mm. you know, I always try to privilege voices that, you know, that are excavating, you know, because we are looking back, you know. And that is why I always do not, like, you know, always fight with people who, like, don't like black portraits. You're like, you guys are always painting. I'm like, we've had 
periods of histories where we were not seen in any kind of way, you know. Mm. So I wouldn't be mad if we still painted portraits even the next hundred years. Right? Mm. I guess what I'm I'm trying to speak to is that you know, it's important for black voices to just really be there. You know, it doesn't have to always be, you know, tough, you know, difficult issues. But for us, for our voices, you know, to just be there. So that's the kind of platforms I'm always trying to, you know, to help. You know, even young creatives to say, okay, it doesn't matter what you're trying to paint. You mm. know, if it's about you, about your community there will be a space, we'll privilege it, you know, so that everyone gets to understand your ideas. Mm -hmm. I think this is a good time for us to quickly take a break because I don't want to interrupt our thoughts. So let's take a break and then we come back and maybe you gentlemen can think about this little mustard seed. Uh, We're talking in a roundabout manner about inclusivity, you know, um, politicizing, depoliticizing spaces, whether, you know, it's st- structural spaces, galleries, etc., or just the, the, the market or even the, the business of creating. What does that inclusivity look like? And, and how do we get there? How do we get there quickly? How do we equalize it quickly so that it benefits your generation in the immediate? Um, that is coming up. Jet Set Breakfast right here on SAFM. Oh, yeah, I was anticipating a big fat juicy, but it's okay. <laughs> can we can we go live with WhatsApp? If you want to be a contributor to our conversation, uh, please WhatsApp us or you can uh, SMS us. You are included in this. Inclusivity. <laughs> I've heard that smirk before. <laughs> Why is it when I ask black creators <laughs> about inclusivity? <laughs> they shake their heads. They are disgruntled. Um but what what does that look like? How do we sort of shift the tide on that? I mean, okay, I'll, I'll go first. Go, go right <laughs> ahead. I mean, I think when it comes to inclusivity, I mean, the you know, the personal for me, I feel, you know, will always be political, you know. Mm. Uh, I always feel like if I get into a room like this, I should see people who look like me, you yes. know, or people who are maybe working in the same ways as I, because then it means that I would work less on translating myself, you know, mm. because if you get in a room where people do not understand you know, you know, your cultures or your traditions, you know, like generally, you know, mm. it becomes very, very difficult. So that is also another thing that when I like do things, you know, whether it's an exhibition, an activation, an event, I always try to reach out and say, hey, guys, who's doing this? You know, and, you know, reach out to other communities. And then mm. before you know it, you're in a space with, you know, very diverse, you know, people, you know, mm. who are interested in what you do and who you're also interested in what they're doing. So, yeah, for me, it's always from a, you know, a personal political point that, if I get into a room, I need to see these particular kinds of people. And if they're not there, mm. it's going to be tough. Mm. Because uh, inclusivity is also not just a race thing. Yeah. It, it's not a black and white thing. It, it's also just the economic strata of life, you know. And and this world has a way of separating and sort of creating the... The, the creators are often the have-nots and the consumers are often the, the haves in a power yeah. position. Because I think sometimes... We we th- we forget that we ask questions, but we we forget why that is even a question, mm-hmm. right? Like, why is the question of why does the question of inclusivity even exist, right? Mm. And I think oftentimes people are just asking for equal opportunities. Yeah, they're not saying give us more. You know, I think from a gender perspective, there's a question of inclusivity that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I think from a racial perspective, also just think from the kind of art that you do, you know, like I think portraiture, some of the abstract artists feel like they're not being given enough um, enough attention. So I think for me, inclusivity just looks like I can create 
and I can put out something there and then it will be paid attention to, mm. right? To create in solitude, but also know that there's a next step and that there aren't so many barriers mm. for you to get there. And for me, that's just a very basic because I think artists are hardworking people. When you allow them space to work, they will work. Mm. And nobody is ha- asking for sort of like hand, uh, handouts or for their hand to be held. It's just give me the opportunity, give me the space, and I'll do what I want to do. Mm. And I mm. think for me, that's the, the breeding ground of everything beautiful. Just give people that space to be able to do what they want. And they'll show you what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of, you know, as you, you're talking, Toho, I'm thinking the next layer of this conversation about inclusivity, um, I think piggybanks on your earlier um, um, point, uh, Mashilo, in terms of the collectiveness. Because at times, a, sh- a cheat sheet, as kids would call it on the street, mm-hmm. is a necessary thing. You know, uh, a but Philemon to be able to say, I've imparted knowledge on a blessing and a zeal and a zeal saying i've imparted knowledge on a mashilo mm. that cheat sheet is is essential and and and, and i think that cheat sheet is what breaks down the, these politics of space right when people that have power and have worked in this space are able to uh, almost um disempower the spaces with uh, what they do actively in the in the industry to try uh, and encourage collaboration right mm. because uh, i think for me it's also like this idea of um uh, like Togo was saying with the, the, the the creator and the creation right putting more value on the creation rather than the creator right because i think maybe perhaps the spaces don't feel like um they need uh, the creators right but they definitely need the creation mm. right and and the longer we perpetuate that then um a powerhouse like a Assembling it, will never be seen with maybe in a show uh, with a machilo, right? Mm. Just out of interest, where he's saying, I really want to impart something, but, but just through collaboration and there's dialogues to be had with our works because we exist in the same spaces mm. as elders and, and emerging artists, right? And But we can't do that because of the uh, the spaces that he's represented by and the spaces that I'm represented by and they'll just never meet mm. in the same space. And and the only way we, do, um, um, we sort of can find uh, inclusivity in that is when um, we don't, we're not talking about the spaces, we're talking about the creators, mm. right? Mm, mm, mm. This is why you hang out with these two young gentlemen. They've got sound mind because as they speak, it brings up so much other thoughts. Sometimes we need, you know, 50 years and five minutes uh, for these particular discussions, but we'll do the best that we can with the time that we have. Um, The conversation we were having off air, which I don't know, like selfishly, I don't want to have it on the show. (laughs) Selfishly, I want to have it on. Yes, yes. As all 50 eyeball producers of the show look at me and go, no, uh, but selfishly, I want to have it on my show, but I think we'll introduce it on the show as well. Mm. Um, is is the conversation around uh, monetizing of the business? Is, is the conversation around, um, you know, the value in both these? And we've established now, right, that we're dealing with two commodities. Right. That the creator who provides the creation and there's value to both these things, tangible monetary value. And that's often a conversation for discourse. Yeah. I think there's a new age of artists and I might get smack for saying this. (laughs) There's a new age of of beautifully arrogant artists. Mm. When I say beautifully arrogant, I mean 
They know their value and they know their worth. And they navigate the earth with that knowledge, right? Mm. And one thing is for me, how does an emerging artist not think of themselves as a South African artist, but as a global artist? And that is the major question because what will also remain is the fact that many artists, as they begin, even though their works are 5,000 rands, some people don't buy them because they don't know their name. Mm. And it's sometimes more often than not when they get international validation that everybody comes back to them, right? And I think the l world at large values art differently as the micro sort of society of South Africa. Mm. Um, and it is in that space where the world at large gives value to art, mm. where mm. now this artwork gains so much value. And we are on the short end of currency as it is. So oftentimes you will find people feeling like they're art priced. Um, but if you look at the journey of an artist, many think it's from university, but no artist starts art from university. Mm. This has been a lifelong journey for them. And I think when we look at the sense of value, we should look at, from, uh, look at it from that perspective. We shouldn't just look at it from a perspective of, oh, but you just graduated. Mm -hmm. You know, and oftentimes... He's throwing shade my way, by <laughs> no, the way, for, for <laughs> off-air comments. No, I mean, I mean, truly speaking, these are things that have been said to me with some of the artists that I work with, yeah. where people are like, this person hasn't even graduated. Mm -hmm. How is their work at this price? So now at that point, you're asking an artist to forget about people mm -hmm. that actually care about them, that actually help their careers to grow. Because some of these people are people that actually even put in money into this artist's career without buying. Mm, mm. So to say, look, this is your brand. Grow it. Let it mature and it be strong. We don't ask so many questions about iPhones and all of those things. We're just fine buying them because even when they do a press release, it's so big and so flamboyant that we just accept. But I think there's so many questions of why is something at that price that we forget that if you buy that price, you also really, truly support the artist. An artist that for a black artist has an entire ecosystem of people that rely on them. Mm. And other artists, like you're saying, collaborations, those things are not for free. If I ask Mesh to support other artists, but I only want to buy his work at a thousand, mm. with what funds will he be able to open up his mind? Because I think the, 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 the privilege in actually having funds to do things is that you actually are able to support. And once you are taken care of, it becomes a bit easier to take care of others as well. Food for thought for me. They're looking at me going, okay, now double back on that <laughs> off-air comment that you had uh, and reassess. But we'll come back and uh, continue the conversation with uh, the little bit of time that we have. It is Jet Set Breakfast with myself, Bridget Masinga. You're listening to Bridget Masinga on SAFM. As well, we prepare to wrap up our conversation this morning, uh, sitting in studio with three phenomenally talented and, of course, very astute uh, gentlemen. Uh, we've got uh, Togo joining us and, of course, uh, Mashilo and uh, Lisole. Uh, and we are going to wrap it up with just uh, some final thoughts here, gentlemen. We are definitely going to pick up this conversation on the art <laughs> of everything because I feel like we've touched on so many things this morning and each one of them needs to be ventilated um, you know, and it's in, been in the back of our minds to, to sort of explore certain mm -hmm. dynamics within the creative sectors. And oftentimes it is the business of, of creativity that uh, gets uh, left behind. Um, gentlemen, I think by way of just wrapping it up, um, 
Oh, we've got a voice note. Okay, let's just play that voice note first before um, we, we wrap the conversation up. Hi, Bridget and your guest. Bantum Chiselwa here. Uh, my question is around the bridging of the gap between making art for an elite group as well as making art for a community. Because as black people, we haven't had opportunities for a long time when it comes to the mainstream art and how do we bridge that gap because a lot of times art is always made for an a, a specific elite group um how do we then bring it to our community to the community level hmm. okay i see you nodding your head there uh mr Mishilo. you you want to take this yeah, i mean uh, you know that, that i wonder around questions like that all the time right and i think um, quite recently in my sort of practice, I, I've started sort of moving away, trying to answer that question within my practice, right? Because uh, there's this idea of like us trying to exercise, exercise and participate in the global cultural space in, in, a, in the private spaces, right? And then it excludes community. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we wonder why our community doesn't uh, support like, you know, our practices, right? And, and for me, one way of doing that is, for instance, having a studio in the community that like really inspires me. And, and for me, for the sort of work that I do, like I want to deeply immerse myself in a rural community where other people can engage with what, what I do, but also bridge the gap between them seeing what uh, the space that they see as almost stagnant, that lacks culture, is able to like um, inspire and, and 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 how further that inspiration you know can can even look mm -hmm. and i think having a space in those kind of spaces is quite important um in the space that we come that we keep talking about where we come from but we don't necessarily like exercise in those spaces and i think that's where like i hope that the next generation sort of bridges that gap because i don't understand this idea of working in these silos uh, mm -hmm. in hubs for instance yeah I couldn't have articulated it better myself. I look forward to visiting you in your studio in the deepest, deepest of rural villages, somewhere <laughs> fabulous. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out this morning to come and join us on Jet Set Breakfast. And I hope that uh, you will take up the invite to come hang with us. You know, the thing about doing a nighttime show is uh, you can even bring a bev. <laughs> you can bring a bev and uh, we can just have uh, a chill out session. Uh, time has run away with us but this has been a really uh, robust conversation and i think we've just opened the gateway um to a variety of discourse that can be had around the the business essentially of creativity yeah. and creating um and as we wrap it up the last song that we're playing togo as our goodbye song before kg takes over see she's settling in already ready to take over from uh, 10 o'clock was selected by your wife 